Hello and welcome to Full Armor Radio. Uh, my name is John O'Rourke with Full Armor Ministries. I'm a missionary evangelist in the Tri-Cities area here in East Tennessee. Um, today I'm going to be talking about um, one of the major aspects of my ministry, which is the anti-abortion ministry, specifically in Bristol, Tennessee. That's the only abortion clinic that we have in the area. So I wanted to talk today about a biblical strategy for ending abortion. I think this is vitally important and is something that the Christian church really ought to know and understand that the mainline pro-life movement has a number of problems with it. This is what we'll be talking about today. In order to learn a little bit more about the ministry, please go on to fullarmorministries.org. Armor is spelled with a U, so it's fullarmorministries.org, F-U-L-L-A-R-M-O-U-R, ministries.org. And on there you can find out more about the ministry as well as um, become a monthly financial partner so that this ministry can continue to happen. So now into our discussion today of the abortion issue. One of the reasons why we called um, this ministry Full Armor Ministries is, of course, because of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and I'll be reading that here. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Of course, I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So in terms of a biblical approach to the abortion issue, please hear this, this is vitally important, is that we do not approach the abortion issue from a neutral standpoint. We reject neutrality really in all areas of Christian life. We are Christians no matter what the situation, we never pretend to be neutral. But um, ultimately when it comes especially to fighting uh, horrendously evil things like abortion, murder, the only way we can fight it is with the word of God as this text says. We fight it with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So how do we end evil in the world? Well, the answer is rather simple from a Christian worldview perspective. The answer is with the gospel. We end evil with the gospel. Um, in order to do that, basically, it comes back to the Great Commission. The Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 and following. It's going out in, into all nations and making disciples of those nations and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. So essentially, uh, the gospel is the weapon against abortion because the only way people will stop wanting to murder their own children 
as if they're born again, as if they're given a new heart with new desires, if they're made a new creation. Uh, in Ezekiel, God says, I'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and cause you to walk in my commandments. So why is it that the Christian does not want to murder his own child for convenience sake or whatever the reason may be? Well, the reason is because God has taken out of his heart of stone and given him a heart of flesh and gives him desires for righteousness. So in order for somebody to really be against murder, ultimately in all circumstances, that person really needs to be born again. Now admit there's a number of people who um, are not born again who are against abortion, and that's because they um, have not suppressed the truth of God's law as far as other people have. When when you're talking to a woman who's contemplating abortion, though, how can you answer her? Um, how can you give her a reason not to have a, have an abortion if you're not using the word of God? Well, people will say, well, it's a human life in there. Yes, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't want to kill it. In fact, a lot of women now are saying, I know it's my baby. Who cares? I have the right to kill my child. People will say stuff like that. So how can we fight that? Well, you can't fight it with neutrality, okay? But you can fight it with the word of God. A mother knows when she's pregnant that she has a baby in her womb. That doesn't mean that she doesn't want to murder it. Okay, I, I, would, I would argue that the vast, vast majority of women, if not all of them, are not ignorant of the fact that they have a child in their womb. I'm sure they're told lies and stuff like that, but every woman knows when she's pregnant that that means she has a baby. When we talk to somebody and we say, oh, you're pregnant, congratulations, when's the baby due? We know what pregnancy means. When a human being is pregnant, that means they're pregnant with another human being, with a child. So women know that they have a baby in their womb, but they want to kill it anyway for whatever reason they may give. They're not ready to, to raise a child or whatever it may be, not financially secure. So the only way we can have a woman who knows there's a child, who desires to murder her child, the only way we can have her not do that is if with the gospel. Call her to repentance. Call her to faith in Christ to turn away from all her sins, including her murderous heart. So when we talk about the ministry that I do, it's all evangelism. All of it's under the umbrella of evangelism. Some of it's general evangelism to just kind of random people in the public square. And the other part's evangelism to women at the abortion mill, to the local civil magistrates who have the authority and duty to shut down the abortion mill and to prevent uh, abortifacient drugs from being sold and, and dispensed. So these are the types of things we need to keep in mind as Christians fighting abortion is that it's not from a neutral standpoint, it's with the gospel, it's with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Another point under the heading of we can't be neutral is being ecumenical. One of the big problems with the pro-life movement is that it's ecumenical, meaning that it has a bunch of different religions together fighting on the pro-life side. So you'll have Christians, you have Roman Catholics, you may even have pro-life atheists, whatever it may be, a bunch of different groups, particularly Christians and Roman Catholics. And that's what I want to talk about um, at this moment, is that that is wrong to do that. Why? Well, I'll go back to point one. The gospel is the weapon against abortion. Roman Catholics do not have the gospel. And in, um, in the Council of Trent, they define, if you believe that justification is by faith alone, apart from works of the law, which is exactly what Paul says in Romans 4, for example, Galatians 2, they say, if you believe that justification is by faith alone, then you are damned. 
So they pronounce condemnation on anybody who believes in the gospel. We are not together. Christians are not together with Roman Catholics. You cannot go together with them because you don't have, they don't have the full armor of God. If you look at that text, all of the aspects of the armor are, are unique to Christians. All of them are. The belt of truth. Well, only Christians really have truth. They're the ones that really take hold of Jesus, really take hold of the Bible properly. Um, so there's the breastplate of righteousness. What's well, Jesus's imputed righteousness? Only Christians have that. Or even personal righteousness through sanctification? Only Christians have that. The, uh, putting on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace, only the Christians have the gospel. The shield of faith, only Christians have true faith. The helmet of salvation, only Christians have salvation. Roman Catholics do not. So, and of course, the sword of the spear, only Christians are able to rightly use it, to rightly use it um, with the gospel as a weapon against these evil things. And more specifically, in Ephesians chapter 5, 6 through 10, um, Paul warns about being partners with unbelievers. He says in Romans, or sorry, Ephesians 5, 6 through 10, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. We'll stop there. He had just listed a number of sins. So it's because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. With who? The sons of disobedience. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the Lord. Walk as children. Sorry, by once, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So should we march around with Roman Catholics who have their rosary beads and commit acts of idolatry around abortion mills? Of course not. Should we be partners with them? No. He says that plainly here. Do not become a partner with them, with the sons of disobedience. Roman Catholics do not have the gospel. Roman Catholics need the gospel. Roman Catholics are part of my mission field. So we therefore cannot fight abortion with Roman Catholics or anyone else who does not have the gospel. We have to have the full armor of God, which includes salvation, faith, and the gospel. Another aspect here under no neutrality is the, the Great Commission. And the Great Commission involves discipling people so that they don't support murder. Like it says, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Okay. Also, the argument today um, for, for abortion is shifting from it's not a life to I know it's a life and I have the right to end it. Um, there was an article a few, few years ago um, called So What If Abortion Ends a Life? So you see where this is going. The argument still remains that people will still say, well, it's not really human life, but there are a number of people, and it's increasing, a number of people who say, I know it's a human life, who cares? The gospel is the only way to change that type of mindset, as I said earlier. In order to fight abortion as well, you have to be prepared for full-fledged apologetic arguments when it comes to this issue. Um, you have to get down to the law of God. That's what it comes down to. God has said, you shall not murder. He has defined an unborn child as a human being. Therefore, killing the unborn child is murder. So what, he's, what we're saying here is that if somebody says, I don't believe in the existence of God, you have to be able to answer that and say, no, God does exist. I can prove it with presuppositional argumentation and demonstrate that you are under the, the law of God 
and under his wrath if you're not if you don't repent and trust in Christ. The worldview that pro-abortion people have is a culture of death worldview. And the only way that that can be changed is by the gospel to change the worldview into a culture of life type worldview, a biblical Christian worldview. Another thing that we must do as Christians is to call abortion what it actually is, which is murder. Call it murder. There are many in the pro-life movement who refuse to call the mothers who have abortions murderers. Many. Uh, some of them will say, well, the mommies and daddies who have abortions are, um, and then it, maybe they feel guilt about it later. They're not actually guilty of murder. They're actually victims of abortion. They'll say babies aren't the only victims of abortion. Mommies and daddies are too. And what could be more incorrect about that? That's absurd. If I were to, if I were to murder my six-month-old son and then felt bad about it, would I be a victim of murder? No, I'd be a murderer still. No matter how bad I feel about it, still a murderer. So if you take the, the child and make them younger, put them in the womb, if you kill them there, you're still a murderer. And you're not a victim of abortion. The child is a victim of abortion, or in other words, a victim of murder. So mothers and fathers who commit murder um, of their children are not victims. We should be very careful about this. Proverbs 17, 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. If you say that a mom and a dad who kill their child are not actually murderers, you're kind of justifying the wicked there. You're actually saying that they're victims. You're victimizing the murderer. That's evil. That's the wrong thing to do. Of course, another thing we have to, of course, recognize is that doctors who commit murder or abortions are murderers too, of course. Um, so there's no exception there. The doctors, the, uh, the mothers, the fathers, anybody who's involved with the abortion and making it happen, whether they're a doctor or not, are all murderers. We must call abortion murder for a very important reason. It's so that we have a moral ground to oppose abortion judicially in the courts. It can't just be a personal preference thing. Okay, It can't just be like, we're against abortion because we just personally think it's icky. Because it's like going before a civil magistrate and saying, I think you should outlaw vanilla ice cream because we think it's gross. And they say, okay, well... We don't deal with your personal preferences. We don't bow to your whims. But if you say, listen, this is more it's moral, it's murder, it's your job as God's civil magistrates to punish murderers, that should get their attention. I'm not saying it necessarily will, but it should, because murder is something that the civil magistrate is supposed to handle. So you have to call it murder. So you actually have a moral ground. Not only is it true that it is murder, biblically and really scientifically, you can demonstrate it's a human life in the womb by observation. It's very important to understand that killing that child is murder, and the civil magistrate must deal with it as murder. Speaking of a civil magistrate, um, is that a lot of the pro-life movement has tried to do incremental legislation. They've tried to introduce heartbeat bills or introduce things that make the abortion clinics have to have wider hallways or whatever it may be, just stuff to kind of be little obstacles, little hurdles that the abortionists have to jump over. Um, we don't take that position uh, here. I don't take that position at all um, because that's regulating murder. 
we don't regulate murder. That's not what we do. We don't say, well, you can murder in this circumstance, but not in that circumstance. Again, if I were to say, well, you can kill your child up until they're six months old, I think we should all have a big problem with that. But you say, well, listen, that's, that's you know, outlawing murder for everybody above six months. Well, yeah, yeah. That's not good enough, though. So when you have a heartbeat bill that says you can murder everybody before they have a heartbeat, that's not good enough. Yes, it's limiting things, and I'm thankful for the lives that are saved through heartbeat bills, but it's simply not a full-on success. And we're, start, we're trying to regulate murder, and we should, of course, not do that. So in terms of um, judicially in America, we, of course, have the whole Roe v. Wade thing, the whole Roe versus Wade, where people say, well, Roe versus Wade, we've got to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, it's the law of the land, people may even say. Well, there's a lot of false information there. Roe versus Wade is, first of all, not a law. It's a Supreme Court decision. The Supreme Court does not make laws. Congress makes federal law. So in terms of it being a law, it's just false. Secondly, um, since, since Roe versus Wade is not a law, it does not have to be overturned in order for abortion to be illegal in any state. All a state has to do is ignore it because it's simply um, a court decision, and Supreme Court does not make laws. There is much precedent in American history for ignoring even federal laws on a state level. Um, Wisconsin, for example, ignored federal law, the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850s, which was a law that said that you can't harbor slaves. If you find a slave, you have to return them to their owner. Well, Wisconsin said, forget it, we're not doing that. They defied federal law even. But now on the abortion issue, we're not even asking anybody to defy federal law. We're just asking them to ignore a Supreme Court decision, which shouldn't be a problem. But we've been fed a lot of false information about Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade does not need to be overturned in order for abortion to be illegal. Not at all. Um, and sadly, because of this misinformation, pro-life, actually, pro-life legislation has made abortion legal in a number of states. Let me say that again. Pro-life legislation has made abortion legal in a number of states. What I mean by that is that because um, Roe versus Wade is not a law, but people think it is, they think, well, we have to do some incremental legislation here to try to limit abortion. So we'll do a heartbeat bill, something like that. Well, in some states, abortion <clears throat> was completely illegal and actually on the books still is completely illegal. But then what they put into, in, into law in their state is that, well, you can kill a child up until they're six weeks old or, or six, six weeks old in the womb. And uh, that sort of legislation is, is limiting. Yes, it's limiting abortion to a certain time. That's just it. It's actually allowing abortion for a certain time. So if the state law was no abortion, but then they put in a law that says no abortion after heartbeat, well, then you're actually saying abortion before heartbeat. And that's really sad. That's actually a big error from the pro-life side is the incremental legislation. It's actually made it very difficult for true abolitionist pro-life people like myself trying to abolish abortion to actually do so um, because we have to get rid of all that incremental stuff that the pro-life boom has put in place. So it's actually become much more complex because of incremental legislation. It's a bad idea. So again, the goal is to abolish abortion, not to regulate it. We're not trying to regulate murder. Like I said, we would never do that in any other, any other context. 
if it's like I said, you wouldn't say, well, you can murder kids below six months old, but after that, you know, you can't. We would never accept that to say, well, we have a four month old, we're going to go ahead and kill him. No, no way. We shouldn't accept that. That's not equal justice. We're asking for equal justice for both the born and the unborn. Specifically in the text of scripture, God actually gives legal rights to the unborn in his own law. Exodus 21, 22 through 25 says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there's no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there's harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So if you hit a pregnant woman on accident, two guys fighting and they hit a pregnant woman, and it causes her to go into labor and the child to come out rapidly, uh, but there's no harm to the child, it's just a fine. Okay, the, the, There's a fine on the, on the guys who did that. But if there is harm, well, it says you shall pay life for life. So if you kill the child, it's life for life. If you harm the child, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, etc. Saying the punishment shall fit the crime. Okay, there will be an equal measure of justice. That, that doesn't mean that if you damage the child's eye, that your eye be damaged, or if you knock, if you uh, damage the child's hand, and your hand be damaged. There's scriptural evidence and other case laws that talk about eye for eye and, and tooth for tooth as being a, uh, a fine, a heavier fine um, that fits, you know, the, the punishment will fit the crime. So depending on the damages and stuff, there's a, there's a penalty in terms of money because of that. So it's really, really important um, that we understand that this text is in scripture and God says, if you kill an unborn child, it's life for life. Very important. And another thing, of course, and finally, one th another thing that the that our pro-life Christian ab abolitionists need to know is how to answer the arguments from the uh, from the pro-choice side or the pro-abortion side. Um, they're very bad arguments, um, but you should know how to answer them. For example, one of them will say, "Well, women have a right to do what they want with their bodies." Um, well, the answer to that is, of course, it's not your body. You are not your mother. Okay, you are not your child. If you're, if you're a woman, you are not your child. The mother and the child are distinct always. You were never your mother. It's not your body. It's their body. Um, if you're, you're killing a human being, but you're not killing the mother. You're killing the human being in the mother's womb. Additionally, from God's word, we do not have the right to do whatever we want with our bodies. God commands us to obey him with our bodies. So that, that claim is false on a number of counts. Some people argue it's legal, so it's okay. Okay. Well, first of all, you have to say, is it actually legal um, civilly? Some some places it's not. Um, but the answer to that is that civil government does not define what is good and evil. They, they do not define ethics. Um, for example, uh, in our in America, there was chattel slavery that was legal in the past, but we oppose that now. Okay. So the argument doesn't hold up. You reduce it to absurdity and say. No, chattel slavery was not right. God opposes man-stealing, kidnapping, and his law. Chattel slavery is a form of man-stealing, so it's immoral because God says so. But it's not immoral because the civil government says so, or it's not moral because the government says so. So there's an objective standard. 
uh, people say it's not a human. Okay, some people make that argumentation. Well, one, of course, in Scripture, it's very clear that the unborn child is a human. You have examples like John the Baptist, who, of course, was um, you know filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. He actually leapt in the womb when the unborn Jesus came into the womb, into the room, in the womb of his mother Mary. So you have examples of children um, even being saved in the womb, like John the Baptist. David in Psalm 22 says that, you know, to God, that he, that God has been his God since his, he was in his mother's womb. Um, you know, you have knit me together, my father's, my mother's womb. That's also demonstrates the me, the person who's writing this is saying, you knit me together. So there is personhood there and is a connection between the unborn and the, and the born is that they're the same person, just a passage of time, development, different location. So you can go through biblical argumentation. You also can go through logical argumentation, the SLED argument, S-L-E-D, an acronym. The S stands for size. Um, a Just because human beings are different sizes doesn't make one not a human being. I, I am bigger than a three-year-old. It doesn't change what we are. We're both human beings. It just changes that we're different sizes. So an unborn child is just a smaller human being, but it's still a human being. The L is um, level of development. Similarly, I am more developed than a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old. Okay, but that doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't change what we are. It just changes how developed we are, um, but we're still both human beings. Um, the E is environments. Where you are does not change what you are. If I'm standing here, I'm a human being. If I walk over there, I'm a human being. Whether you're in the womb or outside the womb doesn't change what you are. It just changes where you are. And then finally, D in the SLED acronym is dependency. How much, you know, people argue, well, you know, the baby is dependent upon its mother, so you can kill it, I guess, is your argument. Um, but being dependent upon something to live does not mean that you're not a human being. Um, just like people are dependent upon uh, pacemakers, respirators, so on and so forth, um, that sort of thing. So uh, being dependent upon something to live does not change what you are. You're still a human being. Another argument they'll make, what about rape and incest? Um, well, you can say, well, you cannot punish the child for the crimes of one or both of the parents. Deuteronomy 24, 16, fathers shall not be put to death for because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Okay, so if my dad murders somebody, I shouldn't be punished for it. If I murder somebody, my dad shouldn't be punished for it. Okay, everybody gets punished for their own crimes. So if a father, if a man rapes a woman and she conceives, you can't kill the child because the father is a rapist. Okay, um, of course not. That's not how justice is. So you cannot punish the child for the crimes of the parent. You could also argue this way and say, in addition to that important argument, and say, are you saying that you're only for abortion in, case, in cases of rape and incest? And most of the time, the people who use that argument are in favor of abortion for virtually any reason. So it's really kind of, a, they're kind of distracting from the main issue. It's kind of an irrelevant thing to them because they're not arguing only for rape and incest. They're actually arguing for all types of abortion. Um, but again, the child should not be put to death for the sins of the father. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and wrap up here in a minute. So just to summarize, in terms of a Christian view of abortion, you have to be Christians. 
going towards this. You have to use the word of God. You have to not regulate murder, but abolish it. Of course. Take on the whole armor of God and fight abortion that way. So ultimately, it comes down to this. Use the Bible. Use the word of God against, you know, against abortion. Use it and see if God will change people's hearts through the use of his word. This is vitally important stuff. And the reason that the pro-life movement has been a failure, and it has been a failure, and there are some Christians who have argued it's not a failure, but when you celebrate that only, that only one million babies were murdered last year, you have a totally unbalanced view of what success and failure is. If you think that's a success, you're way off base. A success would be abortion is abolished. Okay, it's illegal from conception. Okay, I'm talking about before implantation, conception, when the child is actually formed. That is what we're going for. That would be success. So the pro-life movement's been a failure because it's failed to do these things. It's been neutral. It hasn't brought Jesus or, or repentance into this. It doesn't call people to repentance. It doesn't use the gospel. It's tried to be ecumenical and bringing in Roman Catholics and stuff like that. It hasn't viewed it as evangelism. It hasn't viewed it as a, as a subset of the Great Commission. Um, it hasn't tried to do this biblically in terms of civil government. It's tried to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is irrelevant. Roe versus Wade is not really relevant. It comes down to local and state laws. Um, Roe versus Wade is not even a law. And even if it was, the lesser magistrates have the right and the duty to oppose that federal law because it's unjust. If, if there was a federal law, which at this point, there is not one. Um, we have to call it murder. We have to call it what it is and stop um, going on with the euphemisms like terminate a pregnancy or empty the womb. It's murder. You're killing an unborn child. We're not looking to regulate murder. And then we need more people to be able to answer the objections that the pro-choice people will make. So again, I do appreciate um, you watching. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Again, to find out more information about myself and the ministry, uh, please go to www.fullarmorministries.org. Also, check out the rest of our videos on, on the YouTube channel. Check out our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash fullarmormin, M-I-N, fullarmormin. And like that page and share our evangelism videos with others. So again, I appreciate it so much. Uh, thank you all so much for watching, and God bless. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to receive notifications every time we upload a video. Also, please check out our website, fullarmorministries.org, and become a financial partner with us, because without your financial partnerships, these ministries can't happen. Thanks so much.